Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Tuesday, September 28th, 2021, coming up on Roland Martin Unfiltered, streaming live on the Black Star Network. Sarah Tim Scott, oh, I called BS on him yesterday, how he blamed Democrats for the George Floyd Justice Act not passing. Why did he lie? Why did he contradict himself? And why are the police unions now saying no Democrats did not want to defund the police. Ooh, I cannot wait to break it down for you. An arbitrator rules against Donald Trump 
in the non-disclosure agreement dispute with Omarosa Manigault Newman. She'll join us to discuss her big win over the loser, Donald Trump. On trial for wire fraud, theft and embezzlement, a Tennessee state uh, senator uh, is fighting back. She's already acquitted on 15 to 20 charges. We'll talk with the president of the Memphis NAACP and the president of the National Bar Association about her case. During today's Senate Armed Services uh, Committee hearing, General Mark Milley laid out Arkansas Senator Tom Cotton. That ain't really hard to do because Tom Cotton is a white nationalist. General Milley schools Cotton on what it really means to serve the commander-in-chief. Survivors and descendants of the 1921 Tulsa race massacre are asking an Oklahoma court to give them reparations. And Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen says the U.S. could run out of money by next month because the Republicans refuse to lift the debt ceiling. Also in Education Matters, we'll talk to a man who created a resource to help students, parents, and teachers for free. And today's craziest white person doesn't have a job because he refused to deliver FedEx packages to people who supported President Joe Biden, Senator Com Vice President Kamala Harris, or even Black Lives Matter. Folks, it is time to bring the funk on Roller Martin Unfiltered, streaming live on the Black Star Network. Let's go. He's got it. Whatever the miss, he's on it. Whatever it is, he's got the scoop, the fact, the fine. And when it breaks, he's right on time. And it's rolling. Best believe he's knowing. Putting it down from sports to news to politics. With entertainment just for kicks, he's rolling. Folks, uh, in on Capitol Hill today, uh, here the Joint Chief of Staff. Let's just say he had a few words to have to say to Senator Tom Cotton. Okay, so they had this hearing talking about Afghanistan. Republicans were outraged, and Cotton was like, "Why didn't you resign over President Joe Biden not taking your advice?" This is how Milley responded. General Milley, I can only conclude that your advice about staying in Afghanistan was rejected. I'm shocked to learn that your advice wasn't sought until August 25th on staying past the August 31 deadline. I, I understand that you're the principal military advisor, that you advise, you don't decide, the president decides. But if all this is true, General Milley, why haven't you resigned? Senator, as a senior military officer, um, Resigning is a really serious thing. It's a political act if I'm resigning in protest. My job is to provide advice. My statutory responsibility is to provide legal advice or best military advice to the president, and that's my legal requirement. That's what the law is. Um, the president doesn't have to agree with that advice. He doesn't have to make those decisions uh, just because we're generals. And it would be an incredible act of political defiance for a commissioned officer to just resign because my advice is not taken. This country doesn't want generals figuring out what orders we are going to accept and do or not. That's not our job. The principle of civilian control of the military is absolute. It's critical to this republic. In addition to that, 
just from a personal standpoint, you know, my, my dad didn't get a choice to resign at Iwo Jima. And those kids that are at Abbey Gate, they don't get a choice to resign. And I'm not going to turn my back on them. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not going to resign. They can't resign, so I'm not going to resign. There's no way. Uh, if the orders are illegal, we're in a different place. But if the orders are legal from civilian authority, I intend to carry them out. Oh! Mm, see, that, that's what happens when you have leaders. Teresa Lundy is principal founder of TML Communications. Dr. Mustafa Santiago Ali, former senior advisor for the environmental justice at the EPA, will be joined later by Amisha Cross. Um, you know, Mustafa, it's so hilarious to look at, listen to these Republicans. You know, you know, why didn't you resign? It's like, dude, really? Really? I mean, other presidents have made calls where the generals disagreed. This whole notion that oh, whatever the generals say, let's do. Uh, that's how we screwed up Vietnam. Well, you know, General Milley is a G, and I mean that in every sense of the word. You know, he understands what honor is. He understands what respect is. He also understands his oath. Um, and many seem to be lacking on Capitol Hill in understanding their oath. So to see a man who stands up, uh, who understands that he may be under fire, um, that the president may disagree uh, with his recommendations, that he's still going to continue to stay in there. He's going to make sure that he's supporting his troops. He's going to make sure that he supports his country, is what you expect out of a general, um, especially one that is not allowing politics to actually dissuade him or lead him in a different direction. So, you know, I have a lot of respect for General Milley. I know it's not an easy position that he's in, and he's going to make mistakes like everyone else. But you have to you have to give it up to a person who stands on their principle and is willing to stand in the fray. You know, it, it is it, it really is hilarious uh, to watch Republicans repeatedly, um, uh, Teresa, uh, try this little silly game uh, of how dare you disagree with the generals. Uh, when the fact of the matter is we elect a president to be the commander-in-chief. That's what it's all about. And Republicans are, re are real good uh, at then, when they disagree with an action, then all of a sudden, how dare you? It's very interesting because re Republicans' talking points is all about following the Constitution and following the laws of the land. But when it is in the reverse, you always seem to hear the um, you're not on the right track or it's not a part of the agenda. So um, not only is it funny, I, I, I find it, you know, kind of disheartening, just even as an American, as we pay our tax dollars into the system, because if we're not listening to the right uh, stance of government as it relates to some of these foreign issues, um, then I think we're in a very difficult place. So Republicans will continue to um, allow themselves to um, act like they are the know-alls of uh, situations versus trying to actually figure out a plan of action so we can get to a better place. Yeah, it's just, it just, it, it is repeatedly, it's just repeated. Uh, the game that they play and, 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 and just how, how nonsensical it is. It's just like this whole issue over uh, the debt relief. Your Treasury Secretary, Janet Yellen, uh, who says we are going to run out of money uh, next month because of Republicans uh, choosing not to vote to increase the, increase, uh, the debt uh, ceiling. Now, remember, let me say this slowly, folks. During the presidency of Donald Trump, 
Republicans added $8 billion to the... No, I'm sorry. $8 trillion to the federal deficit. Eight T-R-I-L-L-I-O-N. When they needed to raise the debt ceiling, did the Democrats go, no, you do it. No, they said, America has never defaulted. And we won't. But now Mitch McConnell is saying, hell no. Y'all want to raise it? Do it without us. This is what Chuck Schumer said. Republicans really want to see the debt ceiling raised without providing a single vote. I'm prepared to hold that vote. Leader McConnell today acknowledged addressing the debt limit is an urgent matter, but it's his party that's standing in the way of a quick resolution. This could get done today. Hmm. Same thing, Teresa. Uh, and, and, and this is what I keep saying to Democrats. Y'all trying to play by the rules. They ain't playing by rules. They playing hardball. And so if you don't respond in kind, you're going to get rolled. And that's exactly what we're seeing here. I, I think if we had came with a, a stronger position, um, you know, and really started to put the agenda and allocated the funds where they needed to go. And when we had power, we, we should do it. I, I don't see what the holdback is. But I'm sure there's a lot of, you know, areas that we are not seeing. But I think overall, the goal was to make sure that we do not default. The goal is to make sure that the budget allocation um, is right and it's fitted for our country. Because, again, you know, when Donald Trump was in office, there was no scale to how much the country was spending. Uh, and now that he's out, it's 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 almost like it's going to Biden's administration. So uh, I think they never uh, really got their hands around it. And, of course, the time is really running out here in order for a decision to be made. Uh, and, and here's the whole piece. So, all right, now, Democrats, you got 50 votes. Take a vote. And if Manchin and Sinema, somebody else chooses not to vote, Guess what? Blame them. That's exactly right. You know, it, it's amazing. You know, we voted for many Democrats because we believed in what Joe Biden's vision was for the country. And to have, uh, you know, a couple of folks, we might as well just call their names out, Senator Sinema and Senator Manchin, to not get on board and do the right things, which actually helps to protect our country in so many different ways. Um, you know, it, it, it sends a very clear sign about where their allegiances may actually lie. You know, if you allow the country to default, I want everybody to just think about how you maybe over time have taken a hit to your credit and how it costs you more for everything in your life because of your credit being impacted. It's the same thing for countries. If you default, then that means that you are going to have a lower credit rating, and then you are going to end up paying more for everything. And then it also does a number of different other things on the international scale as well, where folks can no longer trust your currency, and no folks can no longer trust many of the things that you're saying. So there are all these ripple effects that Republicans understand very well. And they understand they didn't want that to happen under Donald Trump, and that's the reason that they gave him a blank check for everything that he introduced. 
And it's also the reason why they are trying to, as I often say, hit Biden with a, you know, a thousand cuts to weaken him because he has an economy right now that, that's moving along. So they've got to figure out a way to get something to be able to talk about in the midterms that will resonate with everyday hardworking people. And that means you got to impact the economy. So here's the deal. Government funding expires on Thursday. Uh, and what I keep, keep saying to people is uh, we see the game that they're going to play. Um, this, the, the, you know, this, is what, this is what they do. Uh, and so uh, you got the 50 votes. Use them. See, see, this is where, I'm sorry, where you're mansion or cinema. Y'all keep talking about bipartisanship, bipartisanship. If, if these punk-ass Republicans won't even vote to increase the debt ceiling, they, they were never going to vote for the George Floyd Justice Act. You're never going to find 10 Republicans to support the For the People Act. You're, they don't exist. It is a phantom notion that you can find 10 Republicans to go along with one of those measures. Yeah, people are still playing politics up there, and they're really not thinking strategically. Rolling, you've been saying it from the beginning that, you know, if the votes are there, then we should use them. And if the votes aren't there, it's it's almost like we're beating um, the horn, you know, continuously with no response. So, you know, I, I, again, there we don't want the government to run out of money. But, again, we have to use the power that we have as Democrats and those that we voted into office. We expect them to, to do um, the right thing, especially as it relates to our country. All right, folks, let's talk about doing the right thing. Uh, you know, Donald Trump, we all know he lost, even though he refuses to accept that he got his ass whooped. Uh, well, guess what? When you get checked out of public housing like he did, that means you lost. No, you didn't win. And he keeps losing. They lost in court numerous times uh, when it came to, again, his lying claims uh, about him winning the election and it being rigged. It wasn't. It was a lie. It was a big-ass lie. Now he loses again. And remember all the names that he called his former aide, Omarosa Manigault Newman? Well, this whole issue about this non-disclosure agreement. So he required all of the people working on this campaign to sign NDAs. The fool even had the people in the White House sign NDAs. Y'all, they're taxpayer funded. You, you can't do that. So this they went to arbitration. Well, the arbitrator agreed with Omarosa with her argument that the non-disclosure agreement uh, she signed while working for Trump's 2016 campaign is invalid under New York contract law. Hmm. Now, he sued her after she released her 2018 book, Unhinged, an insider's account of the Trump White House. Well, she joins us right now from Jacksonville, Florida. Omarosa, glad to have you here. Uh, in addition to winning, uh, the campaign has to pay your legal fees? <laughs> yes, they do. They have to pay uh, my legal fees and all costs as well. So it's quite a victory, but also a victory for all the other staffers who have been gagged and who have been silenced and not able to share what they've experienced during their time in the White House or on his campaign. So because this arbitrator's ruling, so if anyone else who signed, again, NDAs with the campaign, um, are, they, are they not free to talk or could he just try to sue them and then force all of them to go to an individual arbitrator as well? Yes, yeah, certainly. Um, 
because of this decision, which is a bit groundbreaking, um, it basically throws out his NDA as it relates to the campaign as well as to the White House. As you said, it's unprecedented that he had White House staffers um, sign NDAs, but particularly with these NDAs that he's used the same template, by the way, for years. And the arbitrator said it was just too ambiguous and too vague, and um, he threw it out. So anyone else who finds himself being sued by Donald Trump, like I have, um, will be face-to-face -face with him. And he has already taken an L in this area, and they probably would be victorious. So, um, clearly, um, <laughs> uh, his, his camp not particularly happy uh, that, uh, that, that he lost, uh, and he uh, called you all sorts of names uh, <laughs> after your book came out. He actually uh, gave a statement, which I'm so glad that most of these newspapers have decided not to print the statement. He gave a statement um, this morning in response to the decision, and it said nothing about his loss. He only attacked me and my character and wished me um, great failure in my life forever. It was just bizarre. And I'm just grateful that he doesn't have Twitter, because I'm sure he would have continued with the insults and the name-calling. Oh, I didn't even realize uh, the, uh, the the idiot sent out a statement. Uh, he did. Uh, and so, uh, so let's see here. It's, uh, let's see here. The only publication that printed it was The Hill, and so. Well, they first of all, let's just be clear: The Hill is a <laughs> the, the Hill is a right wing uh, outlet. Yes. Uh, that they that, that's what they are, uh, and you know uh, the, the the you know the the guy who owned it, they would he was trying to do deals. You know, with them. So let, let's just be real clear in terms of what they are. They are indeed an organ. And yeah, right. I mean, he's pissed off that he doesn't have Twitter to attack people, and then the press breath breathlessly reports everything that he says, aiding and abetting uh, whatever he wants to do. Well, I think the biggest, um, I think, injury to his followers is this was the campaign that sued me. So all of those individuals giving donations to Donald Trump and going out to his rally and buying all of his items to support his funding. The money to reimburse my attorney for my legal fees and all my costs, which is well into the seven figures, are going to come from those low-dollar donors who have supported Donald Trump. And he continues this grift. He continues to take from these followers, acting as if he's going to support them or try to improve their lives. Instead, he's just utilizing it to fund all of these frivolous lawsuits. And so the sad part is all of that money that he's about to pay me is coming from his supporters and from donors who've tried to, you know, further his political career. And and, and that's really what this, that whole thing, a, a grift is. And uh, they're just funding uh, his sheer stupidity. Uh, and, and I said it, and I don't care, uh, if you're a MAGA person giving money to Donald Trump, you're stupid as well, because this dude is playing you like he played folks uh, from day one. Yes, but I have one more lawsuit left. Um, Donald Trump utilized the Justice Department to go after me in another unprecedented lawsuit. So I'm still facing legal situation with him. He decided to sue me for a document um, that I attempted to file. Of course, he blocked me from filing and then sued me. And under this particular act, only two people in the history of the act in 20 years have been brought up and the largest fee that they've ever seen um, has been about $1,500. Donald Trump has asked that they fine me $60,000 for a late form, essentially, which would equate to about a $25 fine. But again, he is utilizing the government to go after his political rivals. And so hopefully very soon, um, the Justice Department will make a ruling about that frivolous lawsuit as well. And uh, obviously, um, his 
what is amazing is that uh, what he did in that case, just sheer silence from Republicans, uh, who clearly had no problem with him using the authority of the Justice Department uh, to attack people he didn't like. Yeah, you know, there's so many lawsuits that um, he filed while president, and he asked the AG at that time to go after all of the individuals who decided to speak out, to shine some light on the wrongdoing, who decided to be a whistleblower. And so, yes, he used Justice Department attorneys. He used Justice Department resources. And... Um, it's unprecedented. So I'm expecting that um, that decision will come in the next couple of months. And then once that's done, I can focus on my future, focus on law school, and continue the work that I'm doing here in Jacksonville. So do you, uh, so I'll ask you the last question here. Uh, obviously, he's holding his rallies. Uh, do you think that he uh, definitely plans on running in 2024? Well, that's if his health holds up. I mean, Donald Trump has had problems with his health for years. He, even in the White House, hid you know, some of the heart conditions that he had and heart issues. The doctors never told the truth about those issues. And I think that the stress and the strain of, of being on a political campaign, on a presidential campaign, can really wear on him. I think he desires to, but I don't know that he has um, the health or even the mental agility to do it again. And Roland, I just want to quickly shout out, my uh, legal team was made up of four people, three of which were African-Americans. So Joey Jackson, who I know you know, um, Jay Wendell Gordon, and Erica Jackson, who is also um, a Southern University graduate, HBCU grad, and then, of course, John Phillips out of Jacksonville. So I had a great team, but predominantly African-American teams that defeated Donald Trump in this arbitration. All right. Omar Rosa, we appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Roland. Bye-bye. Right, take care. Let's bring in my panel here. Uh, Amisha Cross joins us right now. Teresa Lundy and Mustafa uh, Santiago Ali. Amisha, uh, there's nothing better than seeing Donald Trump keep taking L's. <laughs> I, I absolutely agree, Roland. I, I think that there was an assumption, at least from Trump camp, that once he left presidential office, a lot of a lot of his wrongdoings and misgivings would be swept under the rug. That he had beaten a lot of the things that he was accused of, and thus far, we're we're just not seeing that happen. It gets deeper and deeper every single day. He's not able to run away from um, the, the tragic misgivings and the the idea that he had. He was going to steal the election, the workings he did around that, the illegal things that he did at the, at the head of the Trump organization. There's so much when it comes to chickens coming home to roost for Donald Trump that this is just the beginning of what I think will be a very long process of unraveling for the former president. You know, uh, I, I just, it, it's, it's <laughs> the loss after loss after loss. And the thing that's a trip, uh, Mustafa, he's always threatening. He threatens everybody, and it's kind of like, dude, you're a loser. You're a loser. You can call Joe Biden, Joe Biden sleepy all day. He can't pay from his basement. Mm, he must have whooped your ass from his basement. Yeah, <laughs> it's amazing. Donald Trump is like an old journeyman uh, boxer who just keeps getting hit in the head and in the gut and keeps wanting to go forward, thinking that one day he could be champ. Well, you can't be champ when you keep getting all these L's. I'm sorry, this is not a Rocky movie. And, you know, Donald Trump is used to being a bully. He's used to beating up on people who he thinks doesn't have power. 
And because he thinks they don't have power, he uses those NDAs and other legal sort of uh, ways of kind of jacking people up. But, you know, time is up. You know, you no longer can do that type of stuff. So whether it's New York State coming for you or the feds coming for you or a number of other bad business deals where people are now coming for you, you know, you're going to keep taking L. So you should just go ahead and sit down and fade off in, into the sunset because um, if you keep trying to get back up, folks going to keep knocking you down. This is why, Teresa, as Mustafa said, when you're dealing with a bully, you punch a bully in the face. Yeah, and I think, you know, Amarosa's uh, account of her history and the many others that uh, written books and has done talks about their uh, what's going on in the White House under Trump. Um, I, I, again, this is a history-breaking moment, and I believe that there's going to be a lot more wins coming from individuals, um, consultants, and even staffers. Um, and, I, and I do think it's a win for everyone else. I mean, because those who have worked on political campaigns know that there is a lot of stress. There is a lot of inside uh, moves that sometimes you can talk about and sometimes you can't. And so you just really have to make those strategic decisions with the candidate that you uh, ultimately choose. So. Um, it is what it is. I think Donald Trump probably needs to find a new law firm, or maybe he should just stop trying to sue people since it's not looking good. Keep bullying, folks. Uh, then you're going to get your behind whooped. All right, y'all got to go to break. We come back on Roller Martin Unfiltered. We'll talk about a case out of Tennessee where feds are going after a state senator there. They hit him with 20 charges, 15 have now been thrown out. Mm. We'll talk about that with the head of the National Bar Association and the head of the Memphis NAACP. Also, Senator Tim Scott, oh, he was quite busy on the Sunday shows blasting Democrats for walking away from the table and not negotiating fairly and trying to defund the police. So why are two major police unions saying that's a lie? And also, y'all remember what I told y'all yesterday when, when Tim Scott, uh, was making a point about how Democrats wanted to withhold funds, so therefore he called that defund the police. Why did he say the exact same thing a year ago? Yes, I'll be exposing the lying hypocrisy of South Carolina Senator Tim Scott on Roland Martin Unfiltered and the Black Star Network after this break. I believe that people our age have lost the ability to focus the, the discipline on the art of organizing. The challenges, there's so many of them and they're complex and we need to be moving to address them. But I'm able to say, watch out Tiffany, I know this road. That is so freaking dope. <laughs> to be smart. Roland Martin's doing this every day. Oh, no punches! Thank you, Roland Martin, for always giving voice to the issues. Look for Roland Martin in the whirlwind, to quote Marcus Garvey again. The video looks phenomenal, so I'm really excited to see it on my big screen. Support this man, Black Media. He makes sure that our stories are told. See, this difference between Black Star Network and Black-owned media and something like CNN. I gotta defer to the brilliance of Dr. Carr and to the brilliance of the Black Star Network. I am rolling with rolling all the way. Honored to be on a show that you own, a black man owns the show. Folks, Black Star Network is here. I'm real um, revolutionary right now. Wow. 
Rowland was amazing on there. Hey, I love y'all. I can't commend you enough about this platform that you've created for us to be able to share who we are, what we're doing in the world, and the impact that we're having. Let's be smart. Bring your eyeballs home. You can't be black on media and be scared. You dig? Amber Stevens West. Yo, what up, y'all? This is Jay Ellis, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. And the show to be the one who is black and missing today uh, is a sister from my hometown of Houston, Texas, 37-year-old Ashley Guillory was last seen in Houston on September 4, 2021. The mother of three was driving a black 2004 Toyota Camry, four-door sedan with unknown paper temporary plates. It was unknown what color, type, or style of clothing she was wearing. If you have seen Ashley Guillory since her reported disappearance, please, or you don't know about her whereabouts, uh, or any information concerning her disappearance, please call the Houston Police Department at 832-394-1840, 832-394-1840, or call Texas EquiSearch at 281-309-9500, 281-309-9500. All right, folks, let's talk about the story that's uh, out of the state of Tennessee. A state senator there, uh, was hit with 20 federal charges uh, regarding the use of funds for nonprofit. 20 charges. Well, the trial is still ongoing, but the judge has already thrown out 15 of the 20 charges against State Senator Katrina Robinson. She's accused of using $600,000 in federal funds uh, granted to her health care school for personal expenses. Robinson's attorneys argued that the prosecutor's financial analysis of her documents was flawed. She is still on trial, as I said, for the remaining five charges. Uh, Van Turner, attorney for the president of the NAAC, Memphis NAACP, uh, joins us uh, from Memphis, and also Judge Carlos Moore, president of the National Bar Association, joins us as well. Glad to have you both. Uh, I'll start with you, uh, Van. Um, you are, of course, uh, again, with the NAACP there, an attorney as well. Uh, and so, does it say, that it does not bode well for, for federal authorities when the judge throws out nearly, th nearly the entire case, 15 of the 20 charges, before it's even done? Yeah, I would agree. And so, uh, a large part of, uh, as you stated, the claims have been thrown out. Uh, what was... Um, say a figure of $600,000 that they say uh, was uh, defrauded and, and, you know, unlawfully taken has now dwindled down to, I think, less than about $5,000. And so um, I was actually in court for a little bit today. But, uh, you know, we still have those five claims to deal with. And I think a lot of those claims deal with reporting and not necessarily fraud. So these are sort of civil claims uh, and not criminal claims. And so hopefully uh, the jury will kind of sift through all of what's going on. And, uh, you know, if there's a civil fine to be paid, let that be paid, but allow Senator Robinson to return back to what she was doing. And that's really 
putting uh, qualified health care workers uh, into the workforce, which are so uh, which are, are, are so sorely needed right now during this COVID-19 pandemic crisis. Add her using the money for, accusing her of using, using the money for her wedding, a Jeep for her daughter, a handbag, and other items. Yeah. So, essentially, uh, what Senator Robinson uh, had was a, a, a teaching uh, center for nurses. And uh, the, the students would pay a tuition, and that was the uh, bulk of what the uh, institute received. And then she received a federal grant, which uh, was a stipend or a scholarship that was used to defray some of the costs. So essentially, uh, the bulk of what she uh, uh, profited from was from the tuition payments uh, paid by the students and not necessarily from the government. And so I think that's been her argument throughout the trial. And essentially, you know, once you make a profit, you can do with that profit what you want to do with it. And so as long as she was not taken away from the students, as long as the students were still being educated and uh, getting what they paid for, there was no issue. And so if she wanted to, you know, buy nice things or do nice things, as long as uh, she was not defrauding the federal government, as long as she was uh, taking care of her students, there should not have been a problem. Uh, Carlos, what do you make of the prosecutors going after uh, this uh, new Tennessee uh, state senator? I believe they were going after her because she's a black woman that's powerful. We have seen this time and time again when black women, especially black women, get power in this country, they are targeted. And we believe Senator Robinson was targeted, just like some of these uh, prosecutors in St. Louis and other places have been targeted. Marilyn Mosby in Baltimore, they are consistently targeted in it. As the president of the National Bar Association, I am dead set on standing up for these women. So, um, the judge issued the oral ruling on Monday. The trial resumed today. Um, how long do you think this is, this is going to go on? And do you think that throwing out 15 to 20 bodes well for her uh, to be acquitted on the final five charges? Yeah, you know, it, it's hard to tell. You can't read the minds of a jury. I'm sure Attorney Moore would tell you when you start trying to read the minds of juries, jurors, you always uh, uh, can, can mess up. However, I think this is a good sign for Senator Robinson. She has a very good legal team that's working with her. And essentially, the state has, uh, the, the federal government has rested. And so uh, today was the first day that Senator Robinson took the stand. So the defense is now presenting its case in chief. And so, uh, Roland, what you had was after the state presented their case, it took about a week, the defendants uh, or uh, the representatives of Senator Robinson moved for a directed verdict to say the state has not proven their case, and they moved for acquittal on all 20 counts. Uh, judge Lippman, who is the federal judge here, uh, sided with uh, Senator Robinson and dismissed or acquitted her of the 15 uh, charges out of the 20 charges. So the five charges still remain. And so Senator Robinson again took the stand. Today was the first day of her taking the stand to defend against those five counts. Uh, and at the end of the day, the dismissal or the acquittal of those 15 counts reduced that amount of money uh, uh, in contention from 600000 down to, you know, close to probably around $5,000 or so. So that was a huge. Uh, moved by the judge, unprecedented, actually. And I think that...
probably ends up uh, voting very well for Senator Robinson in, in her defense. Carlos, final comment. Yes, I agree that that should vote well for Senator Robinson. As uh, Attorney Turner stated, we can never read uh, the minds of a jurors, but I would take comfort in that 15 of the 20 charges have been uh, dismissed, basically, by the judge, and that sends a resound, resounding uh, message to the prosecution, to the government. All right, then. Uh, gentlemen, I surely appreciate it. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank, Thank you, you Roland. Uh, this is one of the things that, uh, and, and we've talked about this uh, many times before, uh, Mustafa, Teresa, as well as Amisha, that uh, when you are a black elected official, and when you when anything that you're doing with the use of federal funds, I mean, you better make sure every I is dotted, T crossed, uh, because we've seen how uh, how they have targeted uh, and gone after, and frankly, convicted. Uh, African-American elected officials uh, for, for things along those lines. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I would say to any, any black politician, hey, always have your stuff, paperwork, everything in order, uh, because uh, we, we know how this has ended too often uh, for a lot of African-Americans in the past. You're absolutely right. Look, I'm in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, and the amount of elected officials from local, state, and federal um, have been accused and convicted. Um, we either have an overzealous uh, prosecutor, or we just have individuals who don't have the right finance compliance manager. And that person will get a, you know, especially a black elected official in trouble, or they'll hold that information while they're a candidate and wait until they're elected to make sure it's it's brought up in the spotlight. So I think, again, if, if we got to make sure we put the right people in place, first and foremost, but two, you know, we have to ha have the right compliance manager, especially if accounting and, and, and I guess, providing some of these documents to the um, FEC or, or to the um, state compliance is, is not your specialty. Uh, Mustafa. Well, we always know that black elected officials are always in harm's way, and there is a double standard. So what I share with folks is, one, make sure that you always have a great attorney and have a great accountant. That accountant can help you to make sure there's no commingling of funds or that there are any improprieties that folks will use against you because folks are looking for something. I know at least of a handful of black elected officials that I know personally who have had to utilize a huge amount of money to defend themselves just to be proven innocent. Now, let, let's also just couch that by pointing out that there are folks on Capitol Hill right now who actually made huge amounts of money because of their insider trading knowledge, you know, around COVID-19 and, and their sets of investments that still haven't been brought to justice. But of course, we know when you have a darker hue, if that situation had gone on, it would be a different situation. And we know that many of our brothers and sisters who are in office are in the crosshairs because there are those who don't want them to have the power to be able to do the right thing. So you got to keep your game tight. Uh, and so we, we're certainly uh, waiting to see what happens uh, in this case. Uh, but uh, again, when, we're, when you're dealing with these youth attorneys and someone should be asking questions of this prosecutor, uh, Amisha, you take someone to court, 20 charges, and hell, they throw up 15 of the 20 before the trial is even <laughs> over? 
he he got what, and I think the the, the party got what they wanted out of this. Um, it, it, it was used to tank the waters, to throw sharks in the water, because at the end of the day, we have an elected official who is doing what the majority of the state of Tennessee is not. We have to remember that Tennessee, with the with the substitution of Nashville and Memphis, is by and large a very red state. So when you have a representative who is out there doing what she needs to do, trying to get people um, the health care access that they deserve, trying to ensure that those who need the COVID-19 vaccine the most, those who look like you, I, and everyone on this panel are going to get that level of access, training and ensuring that funding goes to nurses and this new wave of health care officials that represent the communities they serve. That's not necessarily something that the Tennessee General Assembly or the governor of Tennessee actually wants to see happen. So they're doing this to basically throw the sharks in the water, raise a level of ire about this woman to diminish her in the role that she's doing and the good work that she's doing on the ground. They came at her knowing that much of this was much ado to much ado about nothing, but it doesn't matter once you've already created this uh, this aura about a, an elected official who just happens to be a black woman, a newly elected official, and the fact that they are consistently saying that she is using um, she is using money illegally to benefit and profit herself. That's what they ran through the tabloids across Tennessee. That's what they ran in the Tennessee Inn, the newspaper of the state of Tennessee, the newspaper out of Nashville. That's what they ran in several publications across the state and on major media across the state as well. This has been in the water for a long time. They got what they wanted out of it. It wasn't necessarily fully about prosecution as much as it was diminishing her and ensuring that it would be a tough road to hoe when it came to her having a name that was clean. All right, then. All right, folks, uh, going to break uh, when we come back. Sarah Tim Scott, yeah, he's been talking to everybody, blasting Democrats, uh, making it sound like that he was, oh, just all on the up and up when it came to the George Floyd Justice Act. Mm-mm. Mm, he was lying. We discussed it last night. Mm, part two. Tonight, next. Roland Martin Unfiltered. Before we go, be sure to join our Bring the Funk fan club. Here's the information to give. Uh, cash app, dollar sign, RM Unfiltered. PayPal.me forward slash Martin Unfiltered. Venmo.com forward slash RM Unfiltered. Zell is rolling at RolandSMartin.com. Rolling at RolandMartinUnfiltered.com. Trust me, y'all want to text your friends and family. They don't want to miss this next segment. See, this is why you, when you're independent and black home, you can speak truth. That's what's going to happen next. You ain't going to get this on the other networks. We'll be back in a moment. White supremacy ain't just about hurting black folk. Right. We gotta deal with it. It's injustice. It's wrong. I do feel like in this generation, we've got to do more around being intentional and resolving conflict. You and process. I have always agreed. Yeah. But we agree on the big piece. Yeah. Our conflict is not about destruction. Conflict's gonna happen. It's time to be smart. When we control our institutions, we win. We win. This is the most important news show on television of any racial background. Y'all put two, three, four, five, ten, fifteen, twenty, thirty dollars on this and keep this going. What you've done, Roland, since this crisis came out in full bloom. Anybody watching this, tell your friends, go back and look at the last two weeks, especially at Roland Martin Unfiltered. I mean, hell, go back and look at the last two days. You've had sitting United States senators today, Klobuchar and Harris. Whatever you have that you have, you can bring to Roland Martin Unfiltered to support it. 
please do because this information may literally save your life. Watch Roland Martin Unfiltered daily at 6 p.m. Eastern on YouTube, Facebook, or Periscope, or go to RolandMartinUnfiltered.com. Support the Roland Martin Unfiltered Daily Digital Show by going to RolandMartinUnfiltered.com. Our goal is to get 20,000 of our fans contributing 50 bucks each for the whole year. You can make this possible. RolandMartinUnfiltered.com. Hey, what's up? This is Marlon Wayans. No, it's not Kenan. No, or as some of y'all say, Klignan. No, it's not Damien. It's really, da- and it's not Damien, because I do not have a bald head. Um, it's one of the Wayans. It's not Winans, uh, because they have been coming up to you. Hey, how you doing? I love the Winans. There's no BB and no CC in this family. There's Kiki and Damon. So I am one of the Wayans uh, brothers, or as you may want to call fraternity population. Uh, there's the Chinese, and then there's the Wayans. We there's so many of us. Seven Wayans was born during this drop. So you are watching my man Roland Martin, who uh, really uh, is swagged out. I want to give a big shout out to my man Roland Martin because he inspired the generation. He's the one that got Al Sharpton in the gym doing selfies. He got a <laughs> Reverend Al was like, oh, I see Roland trying to look like he got a little two-pack. I'm going to get him one better. He's the one that got Al doing the one-handed almost push-up <laughs> on the desk. <laughs> so Roland Martin is the inspiration behind that. So be sure to <laughs> tune in and watch. Roland Martin Unfiltered. fam, the George Floyd Justice Act is dead because Senator Tim Scott, Senator Cory Booker, as well as uh, Congresswoman Karen Bass, they couldn't come to an agreement. Scott spent lots of time on the Sunday shows, Fox News, Face the Nation, blasting Democrats saying it's their fault. They walked away. So here's what he said on Face the Nation talking to Margaret Brennan, and he was talking about who caused the problem. Who caused the problem? And he was, he was, it was, it was real, it was interesting um, because we played this, this two-minute clip yesterday, and the reason I thought it was very interesting um, as he was uh, talking uh, to them because, you know, he was, you know, real clear. It was, you know, it was... They were sitting here and they were trying to defund the police and 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 it was just they were just wrong and 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 how dare they and it was it was their fault and then it was you know Senator Cory Booker he he just they 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 walked away from the table twice I mean he was saying uh, all of those things hmm really is that what really happened so. Here's what we played yesterday. I want you to watch this, but I want you to listen. Okay? Listen to this. Cory Booker, who was your partner in this. Yes. Um, I mean, this started under the Trump administration and continued under the Biden administration. Exactly. Uh, when Republicans in control went nowhere, Democrats in control, it's going nowhere. But, but both th- times, the, pers- the folks that left the table were the Democrats. Let's just be clear that we have stayed at the table. The, uh, the, the Justice Act provided 
clear direction to improve the quality of the experience for the communities at risk and the law enforcement officers who patrol those areas. So if you're still at the table, was the issue that you just couldn't deliver Republican votes? Absolutely not. What Senator Absolutely. Booker proposed to you with what once, he has described as once, this compromise. Once, once again, the fact is that last time around, we gave them 20 amendments to change the bill in any way they wanted to. This time, we said simply this, I am not going to participate in reducing funding for the police after we saw major city after major city mm -hmm. to fund the police. Many provisions in this bill that he wanted me to agree to limited or reduced funding for the police. That's a lose. What? That's because a lose. That's a lose-lose proposition. When you reduce funding for police, you actually lose lives in the communities. Our approach was a win-win approach. We want the best wearing the badge, and we want the vulnerable protected. So when you tie funding losses in this legislation, you should expect an allergic reaction from me. But they would say, uh, and, and Senator Booker's team has said publicly uh, in interviews he's done, that there wasn't a net loss of funding. In fact, there was funding being increased in terms of increased mental health funding specifically, uh, that there were specific programs for recruitment and training funding increases, body-worn camera funding increases, data collection. Yes, so that's not cutting funding. It's might be allocating it in different ways. Actually, here's what we know. We have about a billion dollars in grant money that goes to police. When you start saying in order to receive those dollars, you must do A, B, and C, and if you don't do A, B, and C, you literally lose eligibility for the two major pots of money, the burn grants and the cop grants. When you tell local law enforcement agencies that you are ineligible for money, that's defunding the police. There's no way to spin that. You can spin it by saying. But this would codify you can, the let me, Trump let me, let me executive order. Let me finish. The Trump executive order, I actually agreed to. What I did not agree to was the cuts that come from noncompliance. Okay. So he said, I did not agree to the cuts of noncompliance. But did he remember what? came out of his mouth a year ago when he was talking to Judy Woodruff on PBS. Roll it. Thank you so much for joining us. I want to ask you first about some of the Democrats' reaction. They are saying, yes, this is a move uh, in the right direction, but the Senate uh, Minority Leader Chuck Schumer uh, said today that it's not, it doesn't rise to the moment. We heard House Speaker Nancy Pelosi say it's inadequate. Do you think you will be able to get enough Democratic votes to get this to a debate and a vote on the Senate floor? Well, if we do not, then they'll have to explain to the families that I met with yesterday at the White House and the families that I met with yesterday in my office on why we're not willing to take seriously some of the uh, changes that are important to those families who've lost loved ones because of the police interaction. This bill, modeled after much of the House bill, is an important step in the right direction. It also includes the focuses, the focus of the president and the uh, priorities <clears throat> in the executive order. So we have a chance to do something meaningful for the American people, especially communities of color who are losing uh, confidence in the institutions of authority in this country. Well, Senator, as you know, uh, Democrats are calling for an outright ban on certain uh, measures like a, a chokehold or uh, the so-called no-knock warrant. Um, yes. In your proposal, you are saying 
these things should be tied to federal funding, that if departments go ahead with them, they risk losing funding. And yet yes. you also said today that this is something that should be debated. The chokehold should be debated for the American people to hear. So it sounds like you're open to a complete ban on a chokehold. Is that right? Well, I would say, th say it this way. Um, my legislation gets us to the position where if you are in a, a law enforcement department that does not already have a ban on chokeholds, you do not have uh, access to the federal funding. The, the House bill does not have the ability to actually, in my opinion, ban chokeholds. What they do is they defund states' revenue streams from the federal government. It's kind of the same thing, to be honest with you. The fact of the matter is that policing is a local government decision, not a federal decision. So I'd love to see how the Democrats thread that needle from federalism uh, and the local department's ability to make the decisions. We do that through the re re refusing to give them the, the, the grant dollars. The White House and their executive order does the exact same thing through a certification process. So all three levers of government have the same objective. I think we get there if we keep working together, looking for a solution. So I hear, I hear a little wait, wait, bit wait, of- Wait, 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 wait. He just said that if y'all don't have it in place, you can't access the federal money. He then said there's a certification process. So if y'all don't go through it, y'all don't get the money. Is that not what? He criticized a year later on Face the Nation when he said that, oh, they, 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 they trying to, they trying to defund. I'm sorry, Tim, but is, I just want to be clear. Did I hear you say this? Increases, body-worn camera funding increases, data collection. Yes, so all. that's not cutting funding. It's might be allocating it in different ways. Actually, here's what we know. We have about a billion dollars in grant money that goes to police. When you start saying in order to receive those dollars, you must do A, B, and C. And if you don't do A, B, and C, you literally lose eligibility for the two major pots of money, the burn grants and the cop grants. When you tell local law enforcement agencies that you are ineligible for money, that's defunding the police. Hold up, okay. I, I need y'all to roll that clip from, from, from uh, Judy Woodruff back by 45 seconds. Roll it back 45 seconds, and then I want y'all to hear what Tim Scott said a year ago to Judy Woodruff. Press play. It was a defund states' revenue streams from the federal government. It's kind of the same thing, to be honest with you. The fact of the matter is that policing is a local government decision, not a federal decision. So, across thread that new federal funding, enforcement department that does not. Debated. The chokehold should be debated pause, for the American please. people to hear. So, it's guys, put it on pause. Go back for 30, 45 seconds. See, folks, this is what happens when you forget your last lie and then you go on TV with a new lie. He literally said to Judy Woodruff that if you do not do these things, 
that we stipulate by the federal government, you're not going to have access to the money. He literally said in the Trump executive order, there is a certification process. Y'all, a certification process means if you're not certified, you don't get the money. Press play. And yet yes. you also said today that this is something that should be debated. The choke call should be debated for the American people to hear. So it sounds like you're open to a complete ban on a choke hold. Is that right? Well, I would say, th say it this way. Um, my legislation gets us to the position where if you are in a, a law enforcement department that does not already have a ban on chokeholds, you do not have uh, access to the federal funding. Stop! The stop! 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 Pause! So, you do not have a policy already banning chokeholds, you can't get the money. That, that, that's the same thing he criticized. Press play. Does not have the ability to actually, in my opinion, ban chokeholds. What they do is they defund states' revenue streams from the federal government. It's kind of the same thing, to be honest with you. The fact of the matter is that policing is a local government decision, not a federal decision. So I'd love to see how the Democrats thread that needle from federalism uh, and the local department's ability to make the decisions. We do that through the re re refusing to give them the, the, the grant dollars. The White House and their executive order does the exact same thing. Stop! Stop! Certain... Stop! We do that by refusing to give them the grant dollars. Is that not defund? He then says the Trump White House does the same thing with the executive order. The executive order he helped write, that he supported. Press play. Certification process. So all three levers of government have the same objective. I think we get there if we keep working together, looking for a solution. So I hear, I hear a little bit of, of give in your position. But let me also ask you about this concept, legal concept, qualified immunity. Stop, stop. See, now, 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 now see, again, this is what happens. When you lie, today, this statement came out. Largest U.S. police group appears to counter Senator Tim Scott's argument that Democrats sought to defund police in reform negotiations. Two prominent police organizations, the International Association of Chiefs of Police and the Fraternal order of police appeared to push back against Scott's argument in a statement Tuesday. Though the senator's name was not mentioned, quote, despite some media reports, at no point did any legislative draft propose, quote, defunding the police. In fact, the legislation specifically provided additional funding to assist law enforcement agencies in training, agency accreditation, and data collection initiatives. These provisions would have helped strengthen law enforcement, improve community police engagement, quote, without compromising management 
and officers' rights, authorities, and legal protections. This, y'all, is the statement uh, right here. I'm going to pull it up. This is the actual statement right here. Right here. So, here's what happened. Booker, Scott said, well, you need to get the unions on. Booker said, cool. Booker went to these two unions, got the deal. All of us came back, brought it back to Scott, said, they on. Then all of a sudden, the deal got leaked. Then the other unions start yelling and screaming, scuttle the whole deal. See, Scott's been disingenuous. He's lying. At no point does Scott say that the unions were on board. So he goes on Face the Nation, he goes on Fox News, blasting Democrats, saying, oh, oh they want to defund the police. Here you have two police unions, fraternal order police, we ain't no friends with FOP. Admitting that's a lie. So, who will you believe? Y'all also notice, tenor skims Tim Scott would not say specifically, this is what I need in the bill. You know why? Because I've talked, we had Congresswoman Karen Bass on the show on Thursday. I've talked with others on Capitol Hill. Scott kept moving the goalposts. Scott wouldn't commit. Well, no, no, uh, uh, I, I, I'm gonna need that. Well, no, 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 I, I, I'm gonna need that. Well, no, 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 I'm gonna need that. Scott would not even, if y'all, if look at, listen to the face of the nation, it, he would not even commit to what was in the Trump executive order. And y'all, he helped support it. This is why he cannot be trusted on this issue. Senator Tim Scott is lying. Either the Democrats wanted to defund the police or the unions are lying. Senator Tim Scott, which one is it? Are you lying or are the unions lying? I'm reading their statement. He won't answer their statement. Because, see, y'all got to understand, the moment the lie is told, remember, the lie moves around the world faster than truth. So he goes on the shows on Sunday. News cycle Sunday, news cycle Monday. They dropped their new statement today. Old news now. The lie was effective. The lie was cemented. He did the interview on Saturday. They, they released a portion of it on Saturday to gin up attention for to watch it on Sunday. That's what he did. So y'all also notice, Senator Tim Scott, why don't you sit down with Senator Cory Booker and do a, a, a dual interview? And let's go over what you supported and what you didn't support. Let's go over what deals were brought back to you and deals that you rejected. See, that's what really happened here. He's not going to come on this show because he's going to have to answer these questions. He's going to have to answer not to dancing around these little cute little phrases. He's going to have to answer, no, 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 no. 
What specifically did you ask for that the Democrats said no? There were five major issues in this bill. Three of them, the top three, chokeholds, no-knock warrants, databases. Senator Scott, didn't you support databases in your bill last year? So, no databases this time? Teresa, Abisha, Mustafa, see, this is what happens when you start unpacking stuff, when you start busting folk who lie. When you start saying, but you said this, nice, there is no, it is a 180 degree difference of what Tim Scott said last year to Judy Woodruff on PBS, to what he said to Margaret Brennan on Face the Nation on Sunday. Any one of you can jump in. No, yeah, well, you're right, Roland. They think that we also have to remember that something else happened between last year and that, that Julie Woodruff in interview and what happened uh, over this past weekend. What we saw was a great mass of people who were marching, protesting, those on the right as well who wanted to get some level of attention um, during the election cycle, understanding that voters really cared about police brutality. I would argue that, and we've seen this in the numbers, that um, that level of people in the streets, but also that level of this being a top-line issue for not just the black community, but adjacent communities that also saw it as important, has significantly gone down. And what Tim Scott did was take advantage of the increase in, um, in, in gun violence, and he's used, utilized that to be basically his standard bearer in terms of arguing that we need more police. The whole deep on the police argument we know is, is a farce. Nobody within the construct of this legislation was trying to defund the police. That is not what that was about. What we also know is that tying specific elements of funding to, to, to a specific platform is nothing new, nor is removing said funding if an organization or if a state group or city-based group goes outside of that. We've seen it with community block grants, CDBG grants. We've seen it with grants to healthcare organizations. We've seen it with grants to education organizations. We've seen it with federal funding to basically anything that goes to the states or the city. So none of this is new. What Tim Scott did was make a disingenuous pact in the beginning because he wanted to have that leveraging point in media and then came back to the mean because the rest of the Republican Party told him to and because Tim Scott sees himself as somebody who's going to be running at the top of the ticket in 2024. He does not want to have anything on the mantle that looks like it is progressive. He doesn't want to have anything on the mantle that would push against what the commentary is running on Fox, on OAN, on a lot of these other conservative networks. He was going to always come back, and he needed the political cover. He needed the cover that came from this push to, to put more officers on the street, largely brought on by the rise in gun violence, which arguably, we know how to reduce that as well, and Democrats have plans for that, and Republicans consistently push against them. But this has been a long time coming for Tim Scott. I don't think he was ever genuine about it to begin with. He was just taking advantage of a moment in which this was a platform issue. And the minute that moment started to wane, he decided to push go on something that the Republicans wanted to do all along, pull the rug out from under everyone when it came to true, legitimate police reforms. See, here's the thing here, Mustafa. Tim Scott has never said, this is what I needed in the bill to move forward. Mm -hmm. if, you, if you actually go back and listen to all the interviews he's given, 
He has never defensively said, this is what I needed. No, it was always an excuse. It was always another excuse. And so Democrats were conceding. They would go back, and it was like one thing after another. And it was sort of like, okay, what is it? Like, dude, what do you want? I am told he was specifically asked, okay, Tim, what is it that you want for us to move forward? And he could not articulate that. That was, he was not actually trying to move forward because he know, and you know why? I think that he knows he couldn't go get another eight votes. You see, and see, here's other people you don't understand. Sir Lindsey Graham met with the George Floyd family on the anniversary of the George Floyd's death when I interviewed the family, I had the only interview with the family on that day when they came and met us down here at Black Lives Matter Plaza. Sir, they had a meeting, and Sir Lindsey Graham said in the meeting that I'm, I'm going to help Tim move this across the finish line. We think we can get 20 to 25 votes. Tim Scott, you couldn't even get eight other votes. And so what does he do? Mustafa blames a Democrat because he failed. <laughs> he could not convince his own Republicans to support a bill that he was their lead negotiator. I mean, that's exactly right. I mean, you know, he doesn't want to get locked down um, and have to give specifics because he knows like you said, the Democrats were willing to do whatever was necessary to get something passed. The country was demanding that something get passed. And, you know, folks pulled his card. And when they pulled his card, they used the shaggy defense. He said, it wasn't me. <laughs> and, you know, and he keeps saying it. You know, I didn't say that. I didn't do that. And then when people run the tape, you know, the truth is revealed. So, you know, we know what we're dealing with here. Amisha laid it out for you. This is about him preparing himself for the 2024 election. They are going to have either a woman or they are going to have a person of color. And considering when you look at the Republican Party, it gets really thin um, for the vice presidential uh, slot. So he's not going to he's not going to step out there. And here's the thing that makes it even worse. If what he shares with us is true, about his engagements with law enforcement, he should want to do everything that he can to protect the lives of those who don't have the privilege that he has. You know, if somebody is going to pull you over and you got those license plates on the back of your car that uh, sort of let people know who you are, we all know what's going on on a daily basis for everybody else. And then when the unions don't even back up your lie, then you know you got yourself a problem. So now he's going to have to figure out how he's going to clean this up. Because if he doesn't, this will also be a drag on him as he tries to run for future leadership positions, um, you know, inside of their party. Even though we know that Donald Trump used to be able to say and do anything and continue to reinvent the facts as he moved along, I don't think Tim Scott's going to get that same grace that they gave Donald Trump. Uh, Teresa, uh, I broke it down last night. And as far as I'm concerned, Democrats are being too soft, too weak in going after Senator Tim Scott. If that man's going to sit there and lie, I mean, the police unions, they have completely contradicted Senator Tim Scott. Mm -hmm. I don't understand why they are not firing back and checking them 
uh, left and right by saying, no, you're lying. Absolutely. I think Senator Cory Booker, you know, is our lead spokesperson on this issue as it relates to trying to get this done. And I think he can speak to some of the actions that Senator Tim uh, Scott has delivered, which was absolutely nothing. And it's unfortunate because, again, Senator Scott has been used. Of course, we knew that he wasn't going to have the votes. I think maybe in the early stages, he probably thought, you know, I am the Republican Party's, you know, golden uh, child. I want to say boy, but golden child. Um, um, as it relates to being the only African-American GOP, um, you know, force when it comes to criminal justice reform um, and any other things that, you know, may look like a mm, progressive lens. But unfortunately, it always stops short. I think with Tim Senator Scott, that's what it always looks like. It stops short on getting it done. But again, it looks like the Republicans have put up at least a fight to do so. And so, again, it's just an unfortunate appeal. Democrats need to do more. Senator Cory, Cory Booker and the rest of the Democrats need to call him out. I totally agree that the time is now. We can't wait till later. We can't wait until next year. Um, and we, we just have to, you know, call him out for what it is. You lied. You didn't tell the American people the truth. You had a strategic plan on how you were going to roll out your, your communications. And you forget that people are pulling clips from a year ago. You forget that you are pulling clips for six months ago because you're saying contradictory things. And people do trust the unions. People do trust the working class. And so those, um, you know, working people who are saying, listen, you know what? Change definitely needs to happen, um, and and reform definitely could look a little different. I think we need to listen to them and do something different. Uh, and and again, folks, so what you're dealing with here, and just so y'all know, this is literally the actual statements uh, right here uh, from the International Association of Chiefs of Police and the Fraternal Order of Police, uh, and where where they lay it all out, and they said point blank. At no point did any legislative draft propose defunding the police. They said there was going to be an increase in funding. Then it says, our organizations remain steadfast in working with all interested parties who are willing to take a fact-based approach to enact effective and lasting change to avoid a patchwork of state laws that do not provide uniform standards and guidance to the policing profession. The IACP and the FOP will continue to embrace the challenge and still strong values to our agencies and at all ranks and hold ourselves accountable for our actions in order to build a more cohesive and safer future for our community. See, here's what that, li that line, if y'all, and I'm, what I want y'all to do is, I want y'all to roll back the Judy Woodruff interview, take it back 60 seconds. Because that line, because see, this is why y'all need to understand the breakdown. When they say to, to avoid, a, first of all, fact-based approach, and then to avoid a patchwork of state laws that do not provide uniform standards and guidance to the policing profession, this is what they were referencing. Because this is what Scott said one year ago to Judy Woodruff, listen ban on a chokehold. Is that right? Well, I would say, th say it this way. Um, my legislation gets us to the position where if you are in a, a law enforcement department that does not already have a ban on chokeholds, you do not have uh, access to the federal funding. The, the House bill does not have the ability to actually, in my opinion, ban chokeholds. What they do is they defund states 
revenue streams from the federal government, it's kind of the same thing, to be honest with you. The fact of the matter is that policing is a local government decision, not a federal decision. So I'd love to see how the Democrats Stop right thread there. that needle from federalism. See, that's the real issue right here. Senator Tim Scott and the Republicans, their fundamental problem is that they are all about states' rights. What those uh, segregationist Democrats were uh, in the 50s and 60s, that's who the Republican Party is today. States' rights, states' rights. You just heard him say, oh, it's really a matter of local and states' rights. Go back to the police statement. This is what the police statement said. We're willing to take a fact-based approach to enact effective and lasting change to avoid a patchwork of state laws that do not provide uniform standards and guidance to the policing profession. So Senator Tim Scott, Amisha, Mustafa, and Teresa, is complaining about saying, oh, Democrats, y'all want federalism, 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 y'all want federalism. And here you have the police unions who are saying the problem is when you have different laws in South Carolina compared to Mississippi, compared to North Carolina, compared to Idaho, compared to Wyoming, compared to California. We need a quote. They want a unified standard and guidance to the policing profession. And Scott, and Roland, and Scott is saying, Democrats, no, we're not going to do that. It's not even only disparate across states. It's disparate across cities within the same state. So I think that there has to be something done that helps to not only give people faith in the system, but also to legitimize it, where you won't have chokeholds happening in one police precinct or in one city 20 minutes away from one that has already banned them, where you won't have officers that have committed atrocities towards African-Americans, some of them deaf, some of them extreme faces of brutality, where they nearly killed somebody, and then they just go one precinct over and get another job. I think that there's something to be said here about the reluctance of and the push that Tim Scott did, because this was a general bait and switch. And he had it in his mind. This was a part of a formula from the beginning. And he wanted to ensure that he ran the clock down. That's what all the stalls were for. That's what all the back and forth was for. He wanted to ensure that this was no longer a top of the line news story as it was in the summer, the fall, the winter of last year and the early spring of this year. He wanted to make this a waning political policy issue because he knows that despite the elongated fact-based findings that we have re reduced, the things that we've talked about on this show, the things that I've heard on other shows as well, at the end of the day, Republicans don't care about facts. They don't give a damn. And having a playback of what someone said last year versus what they said this year, Republicans are very used to this type of rhetoric because they want what they want and they will take it by any means necessary. Right now, they're running on a defund the police, anti-defund the police mantra. And they've seen gains across the country in doing so, and they think it's going to help them in midterms as well. They're not going to let that go. Again, here's the whole deal, Teresa, from a messaging standpoint, Mustafa. If you're Democrats, you ain't got any room margin for error. You need to be out there messaging point blank saying, yo, we were ready. He failed. He was the one who couldn't deliver. And frankly, I'm sorry, and I said to Senator Cory Booker, I saw his appearances, they were, they were weak, they were weak. It was weak sauce. I'm sorry. The man is hitting you with a sledgehammer, and you coming back, well, I'm not going to get into name-calling. He was my friend. I'm going to extend him grace. Damn that! No grace. No grace. You got to go, you got to get right to it. Final comment, Mustafa and Teresa.
well, you can't give grace because we got people's lives that are in jeopardy by not having, you know, the consistencies that's in place. I mean, the police, you know, these police departments and, and unions know that they're going to continue to get sued. So, and all the time that I spent in the federal government, folks wanted consistency. Um, in the states, industries wanted consistency so that they knew what the regulation was. What are the, you know, the lines that we can operate in? Um, and it, it helps folks to just be clear. So when you don't do that, now, you know, ten, you know, Senator Tim Scott continues to drop the ball. I can go through a number of pieces of legislation that he's worked on where he hasn't been successful. And the things that he was able to, to work with others to get past hasn't helped people. So this is just another example uh, of, of failed policies and not being able to deliver on the things that you say that you can do. Well, uh, I sent it to him. I, se I just sent him a text message, Teresa, uh, saying uh, no response to what the union said, totally contradicting what you said on Face the Nation. Yeah, he 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 texted me back in in uh, four years. I'm not expecting him to hit me back, but uh, I, and I already know it's still his number, and I'm gonna keep sending it to him because somebody needs to be demanding the truth from him. I agree. I mean, look, if there's a, a number that we can all text at the same time, please let us know. We'll flood the gates. <laughs> but I think there is a, a federal, um, you know, uh, position that needs to happen. Again, you know, uh, most of these police departments, uh, they, I think they actually keep it uh, localized. Um, they don't like to change. They're very traditional. And, and the way they fight crime, the way they prosecute, are the ways that they they love to be. And of course, I think some of the unions are very sick and tired of being sued and tired of going in arbitration. And I think they are looking for the federal government to step in and do their job. So if there isn't a federal uh, state law, federal law that is changing how police reform happens in the city, um, cities and states across the country, then we are going to have these continued situations where people are, you know, doing what Whatever they choose to when they uh, become uh, one in uniform to protect and serve. All right, then, folks, going to go to a break. We come back, our Education Matters segment. Don't forget, we also have Crazy as White People segment, and they broke ground today on the Obama Presidential Center. We'll show you some of that as well. All that coming up next on Roller Martin Unfiltered, streaming live on the Black Star Network. Download the app. All platforms, Apple phone, Android phone, Android TV, Apple TV, Roku, Fire TV, uh, Amazon Fire, Xbox, Smart TV, uh, Samsung Smart TV, all those platforms. Download the Black Start Network app. We're trying to get the 20,000 downloads. We already passed 10,000. We're past 13,000. Tell a friend, let's get the 20,000. My goal is to have 50,000 downloads by December 31st. Let's make it happen. I'll be right back. Black women have always been essential. Mm -hmm. So now mm -hmm. how are you going to pay us like that? And it's not just the, the salary. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are a whole number of issues that have to support us as women. Yeah. But that's what we deserve. Mm -hmm. That we shouldn't have to beg anybody for that. And I think that we are trying to do our best as a generation to honor the fact that we didn't come here alone and we didn't come here by accident. I always say every generation has to define for itself yeah. what it means to move the needle forward. Mm -hmm. to be smart. Roland Martin's doing this every day. Oh, no punches! Thank you, Roland Martin, for always giving voice 
to the issues. Look for Roland Martin in the whirlwind, to quote Marcus Garvey again. The video looks phenomenal, so I'm really excited to see it on my big screen. Support this man, black media. He makes sure that our stories are told. See, this difference between black star network and black owned media and something like CNN. I gotta defer to the brilliance of Dr. Carr and to the brilliance of the black star network. I am rolling with rolling all the way. Honored to be on a show that you own, a black man owns the show. Folks, Black Star Network is here. I'm real uh, revolutionary right now. Rolling was amazing on that. Stay black. I love y'all. I can't commend you enough about this platform that you've created for us to be able to share who we are, what we're doing in the world, and the impact that we're having. Let's be smart. Bring your eyeballs home. You can't be black-owned media and be scared. You dig? I'm Barge. Hey, yo, Peace World, what's going on? It's the Love King of R&B, Raheem Devon, and you're watching Roland Martin, Unfiltered. Folks, uh, now let me break it down again. Uh, a new study uh, shows a new study shows that uh, students of color in high poverty areas had a lower achievement rate during the 2020-2021 school year. COVID Khan Academy uh, is focused on offering free resources to parents and teachers to keep students on track. Here, joining us now is uh, Sal Khan, founder of CEO of Khan Academy, uh, out of Silicon Valley, California. All right, glad to have you here. So. Um, COVID obviously screwed everything up. School districts were exposed. They were not ready. You had students who couldn't afford computers, didn't have Wi-Fi, didn't have pads, all this sort of stuff along those lines. Uh, and folks were sc very scared. Students of color falling back, falling behind. That, of course, was in the spring. Then we went to the summer. We still are being impacted this fall, uh, uh, this, this fall as well. And so we're still dealing with that. And so... You're, there are parents out there who are going, look, I'm trying, I'm trying to, I'm trying to uh, you know, I want my child to compete, but this thing could literally uh, hurt them on the back end when you're talking about getting to your senior year, trying to apply for college and scholarships and grants along those lines. I, 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 absolutely. Uh, we know that uh, even, even before the pandemic, we had a lot of learning loss going on. People always cite the summer slide that in summer, not only are kids not learning for three months, but they're forgetting the previous three months. And things like summer, uh, the history shows us, was a big source of inequity because middle class, upper middle class families put their kids into enriching academic programs, while uh, families that don't have the resources can't do that. And so you see some divergence. And that's just over three months. As you just mentioned, this has gone over 18 months. And this is a situation where everything had to be at home. The digital divide just exacerbated things. And we know what the situation was pre-pandemic because of all of this learning loss. 
70%, 70% of all kids who go to community college, they don't even place into college algebra. And college algebra is really 10th grade math. They have to essentially get remediation at the 6th or 7th grade level. So even though they're taking 8th grade, 9th grade, 10th grade, 11th grade math, they have to take 6th or 7th grade because they have so many gaps in their, in their knowledge. Even kids who go to four-year institutes out here in California, 65% in the Cal State system. And we know that the, the numbers are even tougher for kids from historically under-resourced communities uh, where they didn't have as many resources uh, and, and all the other supports that uh, oftentimes more affluent families might get. And everything just got worse with the pandemic for every reason you just talked about. Now, what we, we try to do at Khan Academy is we're trying to give the tools that either a family can leverage on their own or that a teacher could use so that they can reach every student where they are. Even before the pandemic, every teacher knows that there's 30 kids in the room, they're all in different places, but the only thing they know how to do, uh, because it's, it's difficult without any support, is teach to the middle. Even though you're leaving behind half the kids and half the kids might even might might not be fully engaged, we, we want to give away free tools. Everything I talk about, it's not for profit. There's no catch. It's funded by philanthropy. It's the most studied platform in the world. Hundreds, hundreds of millions of folks use it. Is to, in a classroom setting, let every kid learn at their own time and pace, fill in those gaps so they have a strong foundation, move ahead, ideally accelerate, teachers get real data to see where they can intervene. And whether or not it's happening in the classroom, families on their own can leverage Khan Academy. And not only do we have Khan Academy now, which is all free and not-for-profit, there's another effort called Schoolhouse.World, another not-for-profit funded by philanthropy, completely free, where people can get free tutoring over Zoom. So everyone's talking about tutoring. This is free tutoring, where if your child needs help, fill in those gaps or move ahead, they can get it live. And if they want to do it at their own time and pace, they can do that on Khan Academy. Uh, and so, all right, so in terms of, and I'm going to go to my questions for my panel, panel next. Uh, so in terms of so the parents sitting out there, the parents are like, I don't even know where to start. Yeah, I, most parents don't. So first of all, don't don't feel bad. I think every parent always feels like everyone else has it all figured out. Uh, I'll tell you, depending on the age of your student, if you have young kids uh, in the pre-K through roughly first or second grade, uh, we have Khan Academy kids. And I want to stress, this is not an advertisement for some paid product. This is funded by philanthropy. There's 50 efficacy studies. That app, which you can get on Android or on iOS on your Apple uh, device, it, it covers reading, writing, social-emotional learning, and mathematics. It's, it's highly engaging. Ideally, sit down with your, your, your child and work with, through it with them 20 minutes a day. We have a lot of efficacy studies that it can close the gap in as little as six weeks, and then they can keep going. And then for math, for third grade and over, uh, if you get your kids on Khan Academy for even 30 minutes a day, uh, we see efficacy study after efficacy study that even 30 minutes a week is growing the kids 30% or more. Uh, but if they're able to do it on a daily basis and really make a, a practice out of it, we have no doubt that they're not only going to fill in the gaps that might have been formed during the pandemic, but then they're going to be one of the strongest kids in their classroom. Questions first, Teresa. Yeah, there's something else uh, that you want parents to know that they already don't know. Things, uh, you know, I, I think it's it's that not the school system is doing the, in many cases the best it can, but it has so many things it's stretched thin, and I so I think you know for parents and and I do think the pandemic did make parents a lot of parents realize this because they had to be the teaching assistant they had to be with their kids at home and try to help them submit the assignments and all of that is that you you in order for your child not to fall through the cracks uh, because every school district can't meet the needs of every student personally. That's where 
using type these types of supports like Khan Academy or Schoolhouse.World. And I'll say it again because people are skeptical. They think that something that's free, there must be a catch, that someone's going to charge them or something's going to happen to it. Or maybe it's not as good as a thing that I see ads for on TV. But the reality is there's more efficacy studies here. It's more robust. Uh, and it's being used already in school systems around the world. So parents uh, should try it out, and it's very usable for students to engage. If you talk to students who are a little bit older, I'm guessing they're already using it. So this could actually be a point of engagement where the parents can talk to your child about it, say, hey, why don't you do 20 minutes a day, keep working on it. Uh, also, if parents are really up for it, to start learn on the platform themselves, it helps you engage with what your students are doing that much better. Thank you. Mustafa? Brother Khan, thank you, first of all. Um, as we get to the end of this decade and you look back, what would you like to have seen the Khan Academy be able to accomplish? Well, our mission statement is free world-class education for anyone, anywhere. And then I oftentimes add the parenthetical, and we're serious about it. <laughs> and, and, and the way that I imagine doing that is, you know, there, there there's kids who hopefully are going to a reasonably well-resourced school with good teachers. We want to raise the ceiling there, allow for the personalization, allow for the fact that even if kids come in with unfinished learning, they can finish that learning. Uh, but we also know that there's a lot of kids, if we think globally, who might not have a school at all. But even here in the United States, kids might go to a school. But we know that a, major a majority of minority-majority schools in the United States do not offer some of the courses that we would consider table stakes, courses like Algebra 2, courses like physics, courses like uh, biology, or even where it is offered, there's often, a, I would say, a deficit bias, a deficit mentality. There's a lot of research that back backs this up, where the system might not think that these kids are as capable. And this is where a tool like Khan Academy can say, no, we're going to give you the same expectations. It's mastery-based. Take as much time as you need, but eventually master the concepts. So we want to do that. We already have a strong offering in math. We're adding science as we speak. We want to go into the humanities. And we also want to start connecting that with that with actual opportunity, with actual credit. We're actually talking to uh, Howard University right now about a college algebra course that we can bring into Title I high schools. Uh, because as we said, 70% of all kids, when they get to community college, they, they don't even place into college algebra, much less getting credit for it. Imagine if all kids could get credit for college algebra before they're even allowed to drop out of high school. But they, and they've actually mastered the material. And if they don't master it at the end of that course, they keep working on it until the point that they master it. It's not a situation where you get a C and, you're being, and you get called a C student the rest of your life. If you're at an 80%, keep working on it so you can eventually get mastery. And so I'm hoping that is something that it's mainstream in the next five, 10, or year, 10 years. And I think this tutoring program is going to be really interesting because we're already seeing a lot of people benefiting from the tutoring. They're finding that this free tutoring on schoolhouse.world is better than things that they might have even been able to pay for. And the way that we motivate the, the tutors is we say, and some of these tutors are high school students and college students, is we say, if you can tutor algebra or biology or statistics, we're going to find opportunities for you. We're going to help you get into college. If you're a college admissions officer, wouldn't you want to admit the kid who's a great tutor in algebra or the, a great tutor in, in biology? And that should also be a pathway to the job opportunity so it's not gated by where you go to college. Lamisha. 
Awesome. And thanks for being here. You are speaking my language as somebody who has worked in education leadership at the K through 12 level, as well as at the community college level. Um, you're, you're really speaking facts here. When I think about things like the brain drain, which happened long before COVID-19, COVID-19 is getting a lot of credit for things that have been existing in the public school system for a very long time. Um, how do parents and schools work to eradicate what we've already seen in terms of kids who've uh, been basically left behind, many of which grade levels behind, despite the fact that they're still getting passed on. We know this because we know the scores in math, we know the scores in reading and writing. And there was a statistic that came out just last week that in 2024, 2025, we are going to have up to 86% of young people who are functionally illiterate. So there's something else going on. We talk about math and science a lot, which obviously STEM matters, but what we don't talk about as often is literacy. And we're walking into a population of young people who quite frankly, cannot read and write. What, um, what, what, types of, what, what types of platforms are you working on to address that as well? What, what is out here for parents? Absolutely. And, you know, second place to the college math remediation problem is the college writing problem. And that just shows an issue, even for the kids who don't go to college, it shows exactly what you're talking about, how big the deficit is, where uh, kids aren't even being able to do the basic reading and writing at what we would really consider a functional level, which is a, a middle school level. And, you know, what's what's happening is once those deficits form, unless you do things in what I would call a mastery framework, they're only going to get worse and worse. If I, if, if I give you a test and you got a 70% on basic exponents, and it just might be, it took you a little longer to get that. You might've had something going on at home that week. The system right now gives you a C minus or a D, and then the whole class will move on to the next concept that's going to build on that on that deficit. It's going to build, it's going, you're going to go into negative exponents or equations that deal with exponents. Somehow, and you could be a genius, but you're not going to be able to engage with this next thing when you have that deficit, that gap that's sitting there. And so the solution in our minds is, instead of just continuing to go through the motions and do this factory model of education that we've had since the beginning of the Industrial Revolution, let's use some modern tools not as a substitute for the system, but as a way to unlock the system, as a way to start reaching uh, every every student where we where they are. So uh, we need to do that in math. Uh, to your point, we hope that Khan Academy, if we can get the, the philanthropic funding, we hope we can start on uh, reading comprehension on the uh, you know in the next couple of years. We are doing it. We are the official practice with the College Board around uh, the SAT. And to your point about people in 2024 not being able to read or write, there's even more dystopian statistics. I remember reading a long time ago that you know, to build prisons takes about a, a 10, 15 year lead time and it correlates with fourth grade test scores. I mean, if there's nothing, you know, that is the most dystopian thing I've ever heard in my entire life, but it tells you how important it is to get young people at a strong foundation, not just so they can engage in math, but so that they actually, their self-esteem doesn't fall apart. I started Khan Academy tutoring family members, and it started tutoring with my 12-year-old cousin at the time, uh, back in 2004, and she was giving up on herself. And it, you know, she was, quote, lucky to have me uh, be able to do an intervention with her and deprogram a lot of what she began to think of herself, but a lot of kids don't have that. So we have to think about how are the supports to fill in those gaps, make sure their self-esteem doesn't crumble, make sure that they're able to connect with other people and, and have a strong foundation. All right, then. Uh, again, uh, Sal, where can people go to get more information about Khan Academy? Great. Just people check out KhanAcademy.org. I encourage people to check out Schoolhouse.World as well. These are related, not-for-profits. And once again, some people sometimes think that we're trying to sell something, but this is free, funded by philanthropy, and it's it's the most uh, recognized and, and studied platform in the world. So I just want to make sure people know that it, it exists for their children. All right. Michelle, appreciate it. Thanks a lot.
Thank you. All right, folks, uh, today in Chicago, uh, they bro broke ground on the Obama Presidential Center, slated to open in 2022. Here's some of what took place. It's been a long time coming. Uh, we had originally hoped to hold a bigger festive event, but the pandemic had other plans. Uh, so we're keeping this small for now. Uh, but to everyone who is watching, including so many who were part of my administration, so many who've worked tirelessly to make this day possible, please know how incredibly grateful I am and how much I am looking forward to celebrating with all of you in person as soon as we can. For us, the Obama Presidential Center means a lot more than just creating a space to house memories from our eight years in the White House. This investment, this substantial investment in the South Side will help make the neighborhood where we call home a destination for the entire world. Uh, they will be uh, breaking ground. They're breaking ground today. Uh, it will open a year from now. Uh, it's not a typical presidential library. It's called a presidential center. Uh, unlike other presidential libraries, uh, papers and things along those lines are going to be digital as opposed to hard copies. And so uh, it all begins there uh, in Chicago. And development goes also uh, surrounding areas as a, as a Tiger Woods design golf course uh, that's going to be also built as well. Been a lot of drama over this presidential center where a lot of community groups have been saying that uh, that they have not been uh, good community partners, uh, but those lawsuits are beaten back. So uh, there you go. All right, folks. You know what time it is. Charcoal girls are allowed. I'm white. I got you, Carl. Yeah, um, illegally selling water without a permit. On my property. Whoa! Hey! Hey, remember. You don't live here. I'm uncomfortable. Well, Vincent Paterno, y'all, worked for FedEx, delivery driver, and he was so arrogant that he posted a video on TikTok saying, if you supported President Joe Biden, Vice President Kamala Harris, Black Lives Matter, I ain't delivering your package in Seattle. Watch this. What's up, TikTok? Just wanted to come on here and uh, let all you know, if you don't have a flag in front of your house, and if you have a Joe Biden Kamala fucking camel toe posted up in front of your house, Black Lives Matter. I will not deliver your shit. I will not deliver your shit. I will bring that back to the station. And I'll keep doing that shit. Have a good day. So, what happened was, y'all seen this guy named Michael Mack? He's a, he's a white director. Uh, he, of course, um, uh, got a hold of this. He has been very successful uh, at uh, outing a bunch of other people. Uh, he dropped this video that caused little Mr. Vincent lose his job. Hey, did you hear about this new policy where FedEx won't deliver packages to you, packages you've paid for, based on your political beliefs? Don't take my word for it. Uh, here's a FedEx employee. Funny to come on here and... Uh... But all you know, if you don't have a flag in front of your house, 
And if you have a Joe Biden, Camilla fucking camel toe posted up into your house, Black Lives Matter, I will not deliver your shit. I will not deliver your shit. I will bring that back to the station. And I'll keep doing that shit. Really? If you even get a whiff that I sport Biden or Black Lives Matter, or maybe even a pride flag, you won't deliver my package. This is a FedEx policy. I assume it must be a FedEx policy. You're in the uniform making these statements. Because if this isn't a policy that FedEx has, this is a really odd way to quit your job. Vincent, Mr. Worldwide Paterno of Oak Harbor, Washington. But maybe the goal of this is to quit your job. I don't know that you're necessarily that happy working at FedEx. I mean, after all, your Facebook tells everyone you've been self-employed since 2016. And I'm pretty sure you don't own FedEx. So we can go ahead and let FedEx know how you feel. Maybe also the people in your neighborhood or in your life that know you can also know, in case they didn't already. I'm going to help you get your message out there, Vincent. I, I really like this guy, Michael Mack. We got to get him on the show, y'all, because, uh, you know, he's he's done this uh, a number of times, Amisha, uh, where he's done these videos outing white supremacists uh, and others. Uh, and then, uh, and, and, and uh, you know, a huge following of his on TikTok uh, and social media as well. And he actually engaged in a back and forth uh, with this guy. And he's like, he said, yeah, you got a few followers, but I've got more. Vincent no longer has a job. As he shouldn't. Roland, uh, watching that, this is not only a very bold, indignant, and ignorant man, but he was uh, he was bold enough to record this, put it on one of the largest platforms he possibly could, um, go against everything that he basically signed up to do as a FedEx employee. You can't decide who you're going to drop off packages to and who you're not based on political affiliation, religious affiliation, race, or anything else. You are paid to do a service, so you do said service. But he did it. His name was revealed. His face was out there. There was a time when people were ignorant behind avatars and all types of other things, uh, used false names. This guy clearly didn't care. Graduated high school in 1999, according to that Facebook profile. The self-employed probably means was unemployed up until he had that FedEx position. He did all of this and is now going to possibly be collecting a check from the government and waiting for his next situation to roll through. Okay, Completely okay, I'm, I'm going to show you how even more stupid he is. So Michael Mack did a second video. Okay, you want to trip? You thought that was crazy? Watch this one. Usually when someone receives the rap on the knuckles that is one of my videos, uh, the response is to change their tune pretty quickly or at the very least, shut the fuck up. And then there's Vincent. Like I said... I'm not going to deliver any fucking Biden supporters, nor Black Lives Matter shit. And all these people right here, look at all this. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Y'all didn't get your shit today. <laughs> oh, and on top of that, my boss hit me up today and said, hey, come you didn't deliver 40 stocks. And I said, because they're fucking Biden supporters. He said, hey, you know that's going to cost you your uh, your monthly bonus. 600 bucks, I lose a bonus. Who cares? Standing up for what's right. Um, but if y'all want to show some love, 
My link is in the bio. We're such a piece of shit. You know your wife messaged me to tell me how she and your children do not agree with you, how she begged you not to post this. Now you've posted a second time, and she's getting threats, which, by the way, if you've contacted his family and threatened them, you're no better than he is. Forty stops. Forty customers who did not receive the service that they paid for. You got that video prepared for when you lose your job? Because you are. I've already had some pretty high people in FedEx reach out to me. It's coming. And then you'll be there. Won't happen, guys. Lost my job for doing the right thing. Can you help me? No, that's not going to happen. See, the first step was your job because you're abusing your position and harming customers. Next, when you ask for that money, I take all that too. PayPal, Venmo, Cash App, GoFundMe. Whatever route you try... I'm going to take it. And I know you probably think you're safe because you blocked me on TikTok and on Instagram after you left this comment and tried to paint this picture like, oh, medical supplies. Yeah, no, I see all of this. There is nothing you will do I won't hear about. So if your objective was to have like 30 seconds of fame for being really shitty on the Internet, you can have that. Anything else? No. You done messed up, A.A. Ron. Ha <laughs> I love He's like, you want this smoke? I gotcha. <laughs> I'm confused, Roland, though. Why was the bonus the only issue that his supervisor had with it? Okay, well, we'll take your bonus away. This was a right. Okay, they should have fired him and the and, and the manager. Mustafa. I mean, stupid is as stupid does. You know, it is really, this is going to follow him forever. These folks don't get it. Not only are you going to lose your job, but you ain't going to be able to have a reference. People are going to be looking at you and watching you and following you. And come on, man, if you don't care about yourself, care about your family. It's just, but you know what? I also say that I appreciate people saying and showing who they truly are so you know how you got to deal with them. So, as I often say, hit them in the pockets. Uh, the reason I, I really appreciate what, what Michael Mack does, uh, Teresa, uh, I don't know if y'all remember, uh, but there was a woman in New York, I think it was in New York, who was arrested, uh, who was peddling, uh, who had, who was peddling fake vaccination cards, and she had an in. She, she was paying somebody who was, with the, who was with the New York system, and they were putting the information in the database. Well, he actually uh, hit the woman on Instagram. She responded. Uh, he was the one who turned her into federal authorities. And it was like two weeks later when they announced this uh, big-time arrest, uh, and that was her. So this guy's a director. Uh, again, I would love to have him on the show. But we, we, you want to talk about white allies? This is a guy who uses this platform to go after white supremacists, to go after racists. He exposes them, and he's killing it. I started following him on Twitter. He's absolutely hilarious. I love that whole Orson Welles uh, 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 look and style. Uh, but, uh, yeah, my man said, uh, I don't care, I'm losing my job. And he's like, okay, we're going to make it happen. And I love when he said, and if you try to get money with a GoFundMe, we're going to go after <laughs> every pay service to block you there, too. I think there's a bigger problem that I saw, and it had to do with the management of FedEx just saying you're losing your bonus. Um, it's almost like he justified what he was doing. And for me, that's actually a, a really big problem because um, FedEx, you know, I get it. It's hard to find workers during these times. Everybody's getting unemployment, uh, and you got to pretty much 
pay people in order to work for a company these days. But I think the bigger issue is the the amount of attention that this person is getting and the amount of privilege and the amount of power he assumes that he has um, by doing certain things. And I mean, if, if, if the flags offend him, what else offends him? Is black people offending him? Is black dogs offending him? And what next will he do while in this position and feeling like um, anything that he does, he can get away with? So I have a bigger problem with corporate, and I think they need to address it. Um, yeah, and in fact, we should have had to wait for corporate. The manager should have said, you're gone. Mm -hmm. You're gone. You're done. It's toast, but you don't. But you know, you don't necessarily have folks uh, who have that sort of courage, and so that's uh, exactly uh, what you saw take place there. So, all right, folks. Um, uh, real quick here, National Inventors Hall of Fame inductee inducts two black women for the first time in history. The late ophthalmologist Patricia Bath and engineer Marion Croak will be part of the 2022 class. Bath's invention, uh, laser phaco, uh, led her to uh, an easier, faster removal of cataracts. I actually met her at a conference, helping millions of suffering patients and ophthalmologists worldwide. She's also the first black female doctor to receive a medical pa patent and the first black woman to lead several residency programs. She passed away in 2019. A croak is responsible for more than 200 patients, uh, patents, I'm sorry, and leads Google's Research Center for Responsible AI and Human-Centered Technology. Her voice over internet protocol is the key to today's audio and video conferencing. Croak and her team created a text-to-donate uh, system that, that uh, aided victims of Hurricane Katrina and the 2010 earthquake in Haiti. So certainly congratulations uh, to those two sisters. And like I said, I, I was at a conference. Uh, it was the uh, it was in um, New York. It was the uh, uh, culture. Uh, oh my God, what was it? It was, 29, it was in New York, we, we, we were at SAP and it was, it was great and they, they told me about her. Uh, and so just an amazing sister there. And so we certainly say congratulations uh, to both of them uh, as well. All right, folks, uh, that's it. Uh, Mustafa, um, Amisha, as well as Teresa, thanks a lot. Uh, Amisha, uh, I saw your tweet. Uh, apparently, what, you're becoming a contributor at uh, Black News Channel? Yes, sir. All right. Well, well, hopefully you, you made sure to put in there that there's a carve out. You can still do our show. Uh, Absolutely. I made that. I made them aware of that before anything was sealed. I was like, I have to be able to do Roland Martin. There you go. That's what I'm talking about. Amisha, I appreciate it. Congratulations. Thank you so very much, folks. Uh, tomorrow, I am going to be broadcasting from University of Texas at Arlington. So I'm going to be speaking. Uh, I, I think this, I think this is, I'm trying to think, is this my First, well, no, I was at Fisk University, of course, uh, for the fellowship, but uh, have not spoken uh, on uh, in a speech on one of the college campus uh, in a very long time. We're going to be at UTA uh, tomorrow, and so uh, looking forward to that. Uh, let me pull up the graphic uh, to show you. It is their 10th annual opening lecture of the Center for African American Studies, the School of Social Work and Multicultural Affairs. I'll be speaking on conditions facing African Americans in the contemporary United States. You have to register for the event in person. 
Uh, and so if, I'm gonna put it on my social media accounts. So you can pull the link up. You can also attend the event uh, virtually uh, and we're gonna grab that uh, video as well and stream that uh, on our platforms as well. So I'm looking forward. So if you're in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, come on out, we'd love to see you. Uh, looking forward to that. So I'm gonna be on the road the next 10 days. Uh, Sunday, I head to Los Angeles. Uh, I'm gonna be with the George Lopez Golf Tournament playing there on Monday. We'll be broadcasting the show live from Lakeside Golf Club uh, on uh, Monday. Then of course, we're gonna be in LA next week shooting more one-on-one -on -one interviews uh, for my new interview series on Black Start Network called Rolling with Roland. Of course, that's how we're going to do it. All right, folks, uh, that is it. Uh, folks, if you want to support what we do, join our Bring the Funk fan club. Again, every dollar you give goes to support this show for what we do. Uh, we're building out this amazing studio. My God, we're, we're, we're getting there, y'all. We're getting there. I am so hopeful to be, to be able to unveil it when I get back. Uh, back in studio on October 11th. Uh, Cash App is dollar sign RM Unfiltered. PayPal is paypal.me forward slash rmartinunfiltered. Venmo.com forward slash RM Unfiltered. Zelle is rolling at rollinsmartin.com. Rolling at rollinmartinunfiltered.com. Uh, and of course, download the Black Star Network app. We want to get to 20,000 downloads. We're, let me just double check now. Um, is it, is it, I know we're past 13,000. I know that. Um, and so we are, I'm going to give the actual number, 13,000, no, 14,021. So we're past 14,000. So let's get on to 15,000. We want to hit 20,000, folks, real soon. My goal is to hit 50,000 downloads by December 31st. So please, uh, go and pull the graphic back up, please. Go out, download on your Apple, on your iPhone, on your Android phone, Android TV, Roku device, Amazon Fire TV. TV, Amazon Fire Stick, Xbox One, and the Samsung Smart TV. We're on all of those platforms. And man, cannot wait uh, for us to keep building that. Uh, and uh, hopefully I can soon unveil the other shows that we're going to have on Black Star Network. Folks, that is it. I appreciate uh, all of you being with us. I will see you tomorrow from Texas. Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. Holla! From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment with a diverse lineup of 
350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.